0: This morning we will be looking at the first ten verses of Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 is perhaps one of the, the best known and most beloved chapters, not only in Luke's Gospel, but even in the whole of the Scriptures. Jesus tells three stories, three parables that are well known. The parable of the Good Shepherd, the parable of the Lost Coin, And, of course, the parable of the prodigal son. We will look this morning at the first two. And next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the parable of the prodigal son. But they all come together to make one substantive point. And if you would please give attention now to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient and the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Hear now God's word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Have you ever been lost I don't mean the kind of loss that happens when you take a wrong turn at a street and you have to readjust yourself by adjusting the GPS. No, I mean perhaps the kind of loss that you experienced as a child when you were in a store with your parents and you look up and they're nowhere to be found and you wonder where they have gone to. You wonder how you will find them. Perhaps you even wonder if they have gone off and left you behind simply so that they can divide up your stuff at home and eat all of your dessert. They've left you behind, perhaps even on purpose. If you've been that kind of lost, then you know the terror that can come from that. You know the fear that enters into our being. And you also know, when you are found, the great joy that comes over you. And those who have found you, reunited, longing to be together again. This morning we look at two of three parables in Luke chapter 15. As Jesus describes for us what it means to be lost and to be found again. Found by the Lord our God. This morning I'd like us to see three things. First, lost. Being lost. Second, found. Being found. But then third, and perhaps most importantly, the joy that the Father has at finding His people. Well, let's begin now by looking at chapter 15 and the first verse. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Now what is going on here is a continuation of Jesus' teaching to the various crowds. Jesus has been challenging us in weeks past, chapters past, to think about what it means to believe on him and to be a disciple You may recall that in chapter 12 of Luke's Gospel, Jesus told us to trust Him and not to be anxious about anything, but rather to seek the Lord. You may recall in chapter 13, Jesus challenged us by telling us that the way is narrow. There is a narrow door of entrance into the kingdom. And then just last chapter, in chapter 14, Jesus challenged us to think about the cost that there is in discipleship, that there is a cost to following Jesus. Now, there is a crowd around Jesus. They are listening to him, wanting to hear what he is saying. But the people who are there are not the kind of people that we would expect. They're not Your typical church-going people. Luke makes this very clear. He says that they are tax collectors and sinners. And there are a great many of them. For some reason, Jesus is very popular with the scum of the town. All of them are here, Luke says. And it's intentional here to think about these kinds of people as the type of people that would not be welcome in private Pleasant, polite company. They're tax collectors. Now, if you can imagine in your mind the feelings that you have about the Internal Revenue Service, and then ratchet that up about a hundredfold, you could begin to think about the way people treated and thought about tax collectors. You see, it's bad enough to pay taxes nowadays, isn't it? And believe it or not, the government has really done everything they can to make paying taxes as painless as possible. Many people don't even notice that they pay taxes. They look at April 15th as a good time of year because they get a refund. They don't realize that every single paycheck, money has been taken out. But in Jesus' day paying taxes was far more visibly and emotionally painful. Tax collectors were told to collect a certain amount of tax from their town, their village, their area. And the way that the Romans collected taxes was to say, we need so much in revenue. Anything else you collect, you get to keep. So you can imagine how they would collect and you can imagine how people's blood would boil as they saw tax collectors flaunt their wealth wealth that had been gotten upon the backs of their own people traitors, Benedict Arnold's all. And then there was the category of people called sinners. Now, we need to orient ourselves with respect to this. It is actually a category of people. You can't think as a comfortable, reformed Christian, well, we're all sinners, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. These are regular old folks. No. These are obvious outcast sinners. They're the people who work in the red light district. They're the people who are known for violence and uncleanness. There are people that if you were walking down the street and saw them on your side of the road, you would cross the road to go on the other side for fear that you might touch them and become unclean. And yet all of these people are around Jesus. Why is this? They come around Jesus To hear Him. Because they know that they are missing something. Believe it or not, these people are smart enough to know their life is a mess. To know that they are lost. To know that they need help. To know that life is not good. That their relationships are not good. That their consciences are burdened. These are the people who want to hear Jesus. And you can tell they're so eager. There is a habit about them. The way Luke writes it, they actually are listening to Jesus as they are continually drawing near. It's something that happens over and over again. Every chance they can, they want to hear from Jesus. They make it a habit. Why? Well, I think it's because as they listen to Jesus, as as we've listened to Jesus, they know that Jesus cares. They know that Jesus has a word for them. They know that Jesus is the one who brings them hope. The hopeless. The outcasts. The ones who are lost. But there are some others in the crowd as well. Do you see this? Our ever-present nemesis, the Pharisees, and the scribes. And they are not very happy to have Jesus around and not very happy to listen to Jesus. Why is this? Because they are, of course, sure that they are not lost. That they don't care if Jesus cares because they don't need Him. That they don't need the hope that Jesus brings because they're fine, thank you, very much. Why are they there? Well, they're there to make sure Jesus fits and passes their test. That he does things the way they think they should be done. That he says the things that they would say. That he believes the things that they believe. And so you can almost feel the hatred, the bubbling fear in them. As they look at Jesus and grumble and say, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Now, this is not the first time we've seen the Pharisees do this. We've seen this in chapter 5 of Luke. We've seen it in chapter 7. They grumble and complain. They wonder why Jesus is around these horrible people, these people who are on the outside. They can't believe that Jesus does this. And Their language is condemning. They don't even say Jesus or the rabbi or the teacher. Look at what they say. This man, buddy, this guy over here, who does he think he is? Meeting with the sinners, eating with them. He actually welcomes them. He's not just willing to put up with their presence. He actually wants to be around them. What kind of a man is this? This has got to be evidence that he is not a holy man, that he does not follow God. They don't know that they're lost too. But you see, Jesus knows this. He understands this. And he wants us to know why he receives sinners, tax collectors, those that are lost, just like you and me. And so he tells them a parable, really three parables, to answer this question. And so we must understand and see all of these parables in the light of the answer to this question. Why does Jesus receive the lost? The parable of the good shepherd is not just a heartwarming tale. The parable of the lost coin is not just encouragement about thrift and hard work. The parable of the prodigal son is not just a tear-jerking family warm reunion. All of these parables are an answer to the question, why does Jesus receive The lost. He does this to explain it, even as Luke tells us in verse 3. So, as a result, so he told them this parable. And this parable is a rolling climax. It progresses to greater and greater value. We see 1 out of a 100. Then we see 1 out of 10. And then finally, 1 out of 2. There is a crescendo that this is building to. There are all different sorts of sinners that we see here. We see a foolish sinner like the sheep who wanders away. We see a sinner who's ignorant of himself like a coin on the floor. And then we see a daring and willful sinner in the prodigal son. Why does Jesus need to make this point so emphatically? Because those whom he's talking to, need to understand what it means to be right with God. You see, the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus and especially with Jesus associating with sinners because they believed that you achieved salvation by separating out from that type of people. You stay away from them. You don't go to the places that they go to. You don't say the things that they say. You don't wear the clothes that they wear. You don't go around them and that's how you know you're right with God. Because after all, those people aren't worthy of God. Well, just, just look at them. They're horrible people. They don't own Bibles. They don't have clean language. They don't do the right things. They're not encouraging to others. There's a famous rabbinical saying that said, you are not to associate with sinners even to bring them to the law. These people are beyond help, beyond anyone's help. Now, before we too quickly shake our fists at the Pharisees, we have to examine our own hearts, don't we? Because it's very easy, especially sitting here in the comfort of a church, To have the same view of others out there. Isn't it? Because there are horrible people out there. Doing horrible things. Rejoicing in immorality. Seeking to sin as much as they can. Not even seeking to hide it. Glorying in their shame. We know this from our eyes. We know this from the reports we hear. We know this because the Bible tells us that we will see this. And it's very easy... To think that we have it together because we're in here and not out there. Because we're wearing our clothes and not the clothes that they wear. Because that we use the words that we use and not the words that they use. And then it's a small step to saying, God doesn't save people like that. They're not worthy of it. They're not like us. But you see, Jesus wants us to see and understand that those who are lost need to be found. And Jesus receives the lost. And so Jesus gives us a picture, a picture of a shepherd, which is immediately an image that should conjure in your mind biblical images. As When David finally understood the care that he received from the Lord in the midst of all of his struggles and trials, as he fled from his enemies, as he had strife in his home, he said to himself, The Lord is my shepherd. Therefore what? I will not be in want. It is enough for me. He gives me everything that I need. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me to still waters. My cup overflows because the Lord cares for me. This image was brought out by the prophets. Isaiah chapter 40 says that the Lord will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His own bosom. And the Lord even set up under shepherds to care for His sheep. Those would watch over them and care for them. But there's a problem. Those under shepherds very much like the Pharisees. They lost the ability to care. Ezekiel says that the shepherds of Israel were feeding themselves. They should have been feeding the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not Brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. Ezekiel says this at the beginning of chapter 34. You see, the shepherds thought that some were beyond salvation. But Jesus tells us that indeed those people are not worthy. And that's exactly the point. What shepherds are to do is to rescue the sheep. And so Jesus himself will stand as the rescuer and the great shepherd. Micah chapter 5 tells us of the one who will come from Bethlehem. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty and the name of the Lord. And so the question then comes to us, as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, how do we view sinners? Do we view them with hatred? If you're honest with yourself, you know that you do. The first time you hear a report of a massacre in Africa, you do not say, oh, I wish those people would come to Christ, those murderers. No, your first thoughts are, may God smite them and obliterate them with fire and steel. When people harm us and come after us, our first thought is not how much they need Jesus. Our first thought so often is, how dare they? Perhaps we've progressed even to indifference. You know, they'll get what they deserve. Maybe we've even come to the point where we think we have arrived, where we welcome sinners. We're glad to have them in our midst. You know, if they want to come to Jesus, they can come here anytime on a Sunday. We're open. We even advertise on our website. Come ahead. But what I think what Jesus wants us to see is it's not enough not to hate. It's not enough not to be indifferent. It's not enough even to be welcoming. What Jesus tells us is the heart of God is one who seeks sinners. Who goes out after them. Because you see, those that are lost, they need to be found. They don't need to be helped. They need to be found. And so he tells us these two stories. The first of the lost sheep. Now, I want you to imagine this, that there's a a shepherd in Israel... And he has a hundred sheep, which to me sounds like a fair bit. I have one dog that's more than enough work. Don't need a hundred sheep. And if I counted them all up and one was missing, you would say to yourself, well, you know, give one, take one. Pretty good, pretty good day. We only lost one. Got 99. And that one is off. Now, if you know anything about sheep, You know that in this sense, they are completely unlike many other animals, especially dogs. Some of you may have had a dog run off and be gone for an hour or two or a half a day, and eventually what happens is, when the dog gets hungry, it comes back wet, muddy, but it comes back home. Sheep aren't smart enough to do that. They get off, and they get caught. They get torn by bushes and brambles. They get disoriented. They're helpless. They do not adapt to their environment at all. Jesus is giving us a spiritual picture of you and me. For after all, outside of Jesus Christ, we are lost in a wilderness, aren't we? We don't know which way to go. Not only can we not make the journey, we can't even head in the right direction. We could fall prey, not to wild beasts but to our adversary, the devil who roams about like a lion to devour. And there is no way that we could get back. And then there's the story of the lost coin. This is a woman who has ten coins in a pouch and it's very likely that that's either the dowry that she is keeping for her marriage or it is all of her savings to live on in old age. And she loses one of the ten. You can just imagine how valuable these coins are to her. She counts them all the time. And one time she sees, one is gone. Now, imagine this. It's one thing if you are trying to keep track of pennies. And one falls to the floor. You do that calculus in your mind, don't you? Is it even worth the effort to bend over to pick up the penny? Right? Right? Now imagine it's not a penny, but it's a $1,000 bill. Or imagine, ladies, that the diamond on your ring has come loose from the prongs. Diamond's not a very big thing, but you're going to spend all day on your hands and knees trying to find it, aren't you? Because it's valuable. And you see, that's exactly what happens here. This woman who's in a home, you have to understand, it's not like our homes. Homes in Jesus' they had very small, very few windows, so you couldn't see very well. The floors were not made of clean, shining tile. They were often dirt floors with straw on top of them to keep them dry. Now, how would you find a diamond from a ring in the midst of there? What you would do is you'd bring as much light as you could into the room, right? You'd light the lamp. And then what you'd do is say, well, I guess I've got to get a new straw because I've got to sweep all the straw up so I can look and see the bare dirt and then go through the straw to find it. Imagine the painstaking effort. Perhaps this is one of the few homes that had cobblestones for a floor and the coin has fallen in between the cracks of the rocks. You'd get on your hands and knees, wouldn't you? Go in between looking, feeling. You see, Jesus is giving us a picture of how God relates with the lost. And the Pharisees don't get this because, you see, at the forefront of their theology is the saying that a sinner has to turn back to God first. That the sinner has to show himself worthy before God will show mercy. And you see, here we see something completely different, don't we? That it is God who takes the initiative. It is the shepherd who goes out in the hills and the valleys to find the stupid sheep. It's all the sheep's fault. The coin can't even cry out for help. And yet it is the seeker who looks and finds What is your view of God this morning? Do you think you have it all together so you're fine? Or perhaps you're on the other end of the spectrum that you think that you are so lost, that things are so messed up that there is no chance or hope for writing them. You see, Jesus tells us today that there is good news, and the good news is God does all the work. He's not waiting for you to turn it around. Do you need help in your family? God is not waiting for you to put together the right plan to show you mercy and grace. Is there strife in your marriage? God is not waiting for you to wise up before he shows mercy and grace. You see, God is the one who seeks. He is the one who is active, who is patient, searching out. Later in Ezekiel 34, after God has said that the shepherds have failed, and that they will not seek, that the sheep are scattered, that all is lost. God says this, I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. I will feed them. You don't think the human Bible dictionaries of the Pharisees knew that verse. But you see, their hearts were so hard and cold because they didn't think it applied to them. They didn't need to be found because they weren't lost. And if people wouldn't get themselves lost, they wouldn't need to be found. But you see, Jesus tells us that we're all lost. That we're all wandering. And our only hope is in a God who seeks. And the God who seeks is also the God who cares for us. It's not just that he finds us. He also cares for us. Picture the sheep who's lost. Now, have you ever had to carry around a good-sized animal, a big dog, I'm not talking about a dog like a like a little dog. I'm talking about a shepherd or a lab or a really big cat. It's not easy, is it? Now imagine what the shepherd does here. He comes upon the sheep. It's all the sheep's fault. The sheep has got itself in a mess. It's wandered off so far. And now the stupid sheep can't even walk back to the pasture. So what does the shepherd do? Well, I got 99. You know what? I'm writing you off. No. The shepherd takes up the sheep and lifts it up and carries its burden. What a picture of God. Would it surprise you to know that what we think is perhaps the most ancient statue depicting a biblical event is one of this story. Because it shows us not only the power of God, not only the justice of God, not only the mercy of God, but the tender care of our God. You see, we get a picture of Jesus' love for his sheep. It's an active love. It is a selfless love. It is a powerful love. Jesus has not just come to make your life better. Jesus has come to lift the burden of your sin off from you. To carry it himself so that you might have hope. So that you might know you are found. That you have a place. That you belong. That you're loved. You see, no other religion does that. No other philosophy or holy book tells you of a God who sacrifices and seeks and gives that you might be exalted, that you might know that you are safe and comfortable. You see, far too often we look at these parables and we see ourselves as the 99, don't we? And I think sometimes we're even tempted to look at this parable and to think less of the shepherd. How could the shepherd leave the 99 to wander around just to go after one. Well, the first thing is is that you're supplying something that isn't there. It doesn't say the shepherd abandoned the 99. It says he left them in the pasture, in the safe place. It's actually very likely that what he did was he left the 99 with a helper and he went himself after the one. He did not send the minimum wage worker after the one. He went and paid the cost. Now, think about what that means if you're one of the 99. How safe and secure are you if you're one of the 99 and the response to the one sheep that is lost is, well, easy come, easy go. Is that going to make you feel very safe around this shepherd? But then as you see the shepherd willing to pay the price, as you see the woman on her hands and knees, seeking for the one that is lost, does that not give you comfort and assurance that you, when you are lost, when you are astray, when you are at your end, that God will be there for you? He doesn't abandon any. He finds those who are lost. This is one of the reasons we should be so fervent about evangelism. Because as we seek the lost, as the Lord and the Spirit work through us to gather in the Lord's people, we gain more assurance of our own standing with God. That there is not one, whether it's in the jungles of Borneo or the highest apartments in the most densely crowded cities on the planet, there is not one that Jesus has died for that He will not find and save. Not one. This gives us great confidence. But there's a third and final thing that Jesus says to us that's very important. It's not just that we know that we are lost and we need to be found. We need to understand the reaction of God to the finding. This is not just some fulfillment of a task. We cannot look at salvation merely as the executing of God's eternal wise decree. It is that. But we cannot view God as some kind of impassive, unemotional, higher being that simply wants all of the pieces in the puzzle to fit right. No. What happens to the shepherd? What happens to the woman? There's rejoicing over what is found. Can you picture the look on the shepherd's face as he walks back into town with the sheep around his shoulders, holding it by the feet? He doesn't care that he's tired. He doesn't even care the sheep stinks. He is rejoicing in what has been found. You see, the Pharisees didn't get this. One of their sayings, one of the sayings of the rabbi was, there is joy in God when those who provoke Him perish. Now that's warm and fuzzy by the fire at night, isn't it? But you see, we have to understand that God rejoices in redemption. There is a reason that Jesus Christ was willing to pay the cost. It was for joy. Hebrews tells us that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising its shame. Jesus willingly went to the cross to gather to himself a people that everyone might be his. Now this is great comfort to us. For what is the enemy of repentance? Isn't it fear? You know what I mean. Picture when you've done something wrong. And you know you need to tell your parents and find forgiveness. But you don't want to, do you? Because you're afraid you're going to be humiliated. You're afraid that you might not be forgiven. You're afraid that you might not measure up. But you see, Jesus says that the Lord longs to see our repentance. That He finds us and brings us to Himself because It allows him to rejoice in what has come. And this joy bubbles over. It comes to those who are God's people. You see what the shepherd does. You see what the woman does. They don't just smile. You know, like some people do that are very taciturn. You know they're jumping with joy when you see one of these. A slight smile? No, no, no. They want to throw a party. They want everyone to see. They want everyone to know that there is joy. Jesus wants us to share His joy. And He tells us there is more joy in the repentance of one sinner than in 99 self-righteous who think that they have no need for repentance. Imagine that. Jesus is telling the Pharisees it is better for one sinner to repent than for 99 to think that they are right with God. We have Jesus' heart for the lost. Now, this joy begins with knowing Jesus. It's a joy that comes from when we know that we are lost and we need to be found. It's a joy that comes when we know we are found and it is a joy In knowing that Jesus does indeed receive sinners. Go back up to the top of chapter 15. Jesus welcomes sinners. Do you know what that means? Jesus seeks sinners. That means I am a sinner. Jesus welcomes me. Jesus seeks me. If that is not a cause for joy beyond all expression, I don't know what is. Jesus came to seek that which was lost. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we ask this morning that you would remind us that you indeed are the Lord, that there is none like you, that you seek out the lost at your own cost. Lord, give us the joy that is in heaven among the angels in rejoicing in the repentance of a sinner. Allow us to rejoice in our own repentance and to repent daily before you. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen.